Welcome to the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. I'm Wayne Washington, founder and CEO of Grow Company Profits. We help CEOs stop leaving money on the table while sustaining profitability to fund managed growth. The CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast is basically CEOs helping other CEOs with tips, tools, and techniques to implement company projects or other work activities on time, on target, and on budget. Let's spend the next 30 minutes together with my guest CEO and maybe learn some different tools to put into your CEO toolbox. Welcome listeners to the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. The CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast is a podcast by CEOs for CEOs seeking to sustain execution excellence. I'm Wayne Washington, founder and CEO of Grow Company Profits. All of my CEO guests successfully operate companies with annual revenues in excess of $3 million. Today, my guest is Victor Calabrese. He's the CEO of a company called Deside. And today, Rick is going to share some of his successes and his, and his failures. We all have those successes and failures. But I'm looking forward to a discussion with Victor. His website is www.deskside.com. Victor, thank you for being here today. Wayne, this is great. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our discussion. And um, I think the best way to, the best way I try to start things off is Give me, I, I try to get, what's, what's your starter story? How did this side get started? Tell me, tell me that, that starter story. What, what got, what got you into it and, and where are you heading? Sure. Yeah. So, so Death Side is, is the evolution of another company that I got involved with as uh, COO um, back in uh, 2009, 2010. Uh, I started with uh, my current partner back then he had another partner. Uh, and I worked my way through what was then an MSP, which is a similar kind of uh, company. Um, and I worked my way all the way up, became COO and started running the company for, for the two owners. Um, we got that company pretty big. Uh, and at a certain point around 2016, the owner says we want out and uh, they wanted an exit plan and a strategy. So we ended up selling to a uh, MSP much larger than us. And at that time, I said, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit of break. Um, and in 2017, uh, we, side kind of started in my mind right after we sold that other company. Um, and I saw a opportunity to evolve the MSP model. And that's where Desai was born. Desai was born in 2017. And uh, we've been uh, at it ever since. Help, help my listeners understand what Desside is. Sure. So the traditional... Uh, um, Thing that people call our companies a managed service provider. So what we coin ourselves as the outsourced IT department for small and medium businesses. Um, Desite is that, but it is also an evolution of that. We are very focused on the company as far as a technology, not just IT. So we want to take a look at the company from a business perspective, 
understand the business that, that they're in and then take technology and solve business problems uh, with some technology solutions. Okay. Are there various size companies or size limits that you deal with or what's the range of size of companies you, you'll try to work with? So I try to stay anyone that's it's about 15, 10, 15 people all the way up to my biggest client is, is hovering around 300 people. Um, okay. I'll go as big as 500 people. But in that range, you start getting into companies that have their own IT department. It's more project work. It's not more of an outsourced IT department. Okay. So, so make, make sure I'm clear what you said. Is Deathside an outgrowth of the other company or did you start Deathside all on your own? We started with that side on our own. So once okay. we sold that other company, uh, it took a little time off and started reinventing what that MSP model is. And that's where Deathside was born. And what, what you took the time off, I understand that. Were you hungry to have your own company again? What, what made you get back in the game? Yeah, so um, my dad's always been an entrepreneur. And, and that's one of the things I grew up around an entrepreneur. But uh, unfortunately, I, I have this, this thing that this country kind of, bakes that out of us when we're at school. So I ended up getting a job um, and I was doing really well. All I got to be a CIO by the time I was 26 years old, I was doing very, very well. But I always had this thing where I wanted my own thing. I wanted mm -hmm. to be able to make my own decisions and not like a COO because I did run um, uh, the other company like it was my own. However, okay. it's really not your own until it is. I, I, and most of the people listening will know exactly what I mean. Yeah, um, I so once I, that's why I took that time off because I really had to decide where I would go down the road of getting another job or going down the road of owning my own business. Uh, and I decided to take the, the leap of faith. It was really hard because, you know, I have five kids. I have a household to, to support. Um, tough decision, uh, but I couldn't be happier. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. What, what was the uh, what was the tipping point? It's a tough decision. What 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 was that thing that finally said I'm going to do it? There was there was a couple of uh, things. It was a lot of things that happened in my life where I started seeing how effective I was as an executive. A lot of the things that I learned throughout my career, I was putting into place and making um, you know business owners a, a lot of money, and I was making these companies very successful. And the thing that always bugged me is why, why can't I do this for me? Why mm -hmm. am I doing it for somebody else? So the tipping point was that I really achieved something really great by being that COO and that other company. Uh -huh. And I was really happy. And then the owners came and made a decision to sell that company, which kind of deflated me because it was for me, it was the pinnacle of my career to be in charge and to be the person and the owners weren't around and I was making all the decision. I had everything I wanted and then it was taken away from me. So I was like, that's it. I'm never putting myself in another situation where that could be taken away. And I built my own. All right. So you, you made a decision. You, you, you bit the bullet. How was day one and how was day 100? <laughs> well, day one was uh, um, was awesome because it, that that's the low hanging fruit, right? You, you, uh -huh. you build the LLC, you get the checking account started, you know, you do all the things that are just super easy for, for people that have done them before. Uh -huh. um, so that was super fun. Uh, and then as you started getting into the weeds and you started putting together your sales plan and you started putting together the, the tool stack that we needed and we started, then the stuff starts getting hard because um, there's, a, there's a book I've read called uh, Predictable Success. Uh, okay. where it makes a really great uh, um, outline of where a company is. And there's five different places. It's startup. Then it goes into something called fun. 
then it goes into white water, then it's in predictable success, then treadmill, and then finally into death spiral, right? So there's a, there's a company. You want to be up there in predictable success. So being uh-huh. a startup was fun. And, and the first 100 days, you're, you're pretty much in startup mode. Now, as we grow, you know, we're in white water, right? You've got all this great stuff happening, but all the policies, the procedures, the people, the, 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 the great people that you're looking for, those are not in place. So you're kind of struggling between bringing on all these new clients and putting those things in place. Okay, so so you started you started this one on your own. What was what, what, when you when you look back? What was one of the uh, initial hurdles you had to or obstacles you had to get around and go over? People, uh, absolutely people, uh, because at, w- when you first start the company, depending on what kind of financial backing you have, um, you can only bring on so many things, right? And a lot of the stuff goes into the company's tool set because you you need a product, right? So um, cost of goods great. You spend all the money on the tools. You spend all the stuff on developing your product, your service, but then you got to start attracting people to your company and not being a venture back startup where I have millions of dollars that I can spend to attract these people. You start competing on a, on a, on a different level, right? You try to get people to understand your vision. You try to get people to understand where you're going with this, how they're going to uh, make something out of where we're going. Uh-huh. Um, so, and, and I had that mentality. A lot of the things that I've put into place early on are similar to Silicon Valley startups. Um, I give them a lot of great benefits. Um, and I've been able, I've been successful at attracting some really good people, but attracting people still today is, is a challenge. All right. So once you attract them, have you had a good time of keeping them or do you have, do you stuff a turnover or help me understand how, how, how these turbulent times with the COVID uh, situation, pandemic, how have you transitioned through that? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So um, I've actually, that's one of my strengths. If, if, if I had to pick a strength is, is keeping okay. people and, and culture um, is definitely something that I'm, I'm really good at. And that's why the way I developed the company gives people a lot of incentive to join us. And then it gives them a lot of incentive to stay. I pay 90% of their medical benefits. I have this amazing bonus program that has real metrics, both on the company size and a report card for every single employee. So every single employee knows exactly what they need to do to maximize their bonus and what the company needs to do to maximize that bonus, right? Uh, I give them uh, paid training, uh, unlimited uh, PTO. So I have all this great stuff that really keeps them engaged and keeps them wanting to work with me. And then I, I, I'm one of those people that consistently talks to my employees. I, I don't care if they're you know, just hired or they're the most senior tech. Uh, I do make it a point to talk on a one-to-one basis with each of my employees. I know that gets harder uh, when you're, you know, 150, 200 people, um, but there's plenty of CEOs that I know that still do it. Well, you know, when you when you say what you say, I'm I'm really impressed from a standpoint of a uh, talk about culture from a company standpoint because most CEOs, most co- new companies, <clears throat> they focus on sales and marketing, and and finances. And, and you're more people just follow along with me. It's, it's, it's your job to do this. And that's not your approach. What, where did this um, investment in culture come from? Is that part of your background? Is that, some, is that what you experienced at other companies? Where, where, where did that come from? So I, I learned early on, I had a lot of jobs and a lot of jobs really left me saying, wait a second, you know, I'm pulling for you. You know, where, where, where's my prize? Like, what, what do you, what is the company doing for me? And it's, it's really depressing 
um, how bad a lot of companies are, are doing that. Cause they're exactly like you say, they're there. It's your job. I'm paying you for, to do this. Um, I don't want people to work at desk side because of the paycheck. That's the, probably the last reason it's not, I mean, I pay them well, but that should be the last reason you're working for a company. You should work for a company because you love the company, because you mm -hmm. want that company to succeed, because there is a benefit to you. You have great clients. You have great uh, a staff that you're working with. You get great managers. And you have to make sure that each one of these employees, uh, I'm a big believer in continuous learning. You have to make sure that these employees are continuously learning themselves, because that's what makes your company great. All right. So, so. You know, the culture part, I, 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 great, I, I agree with, because that's, that's, I mean, to me, collaboration, occlusion, inclusion is very, very important for a company. So we all function as one. That's extremely important to me. So that's the culture side. Let's go over more to the operations side from a standpoint where you got a day-to-day -day business to run. How do, you, how do you bring people on board? How do you get them into the spirit of operation? And how do you make sure they're delivering to your clients what you expect them to deliver? Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a, and again, um, being that I came from the world of, of COO, right? That was the last title. COO is a chief operations officer. In order for you to be a, a, a chief operations officer, you have to be good at two very important things. One is measuring everything and then translating those measurements into tactical goals for your employees to, to get at. Um, so early on in my career, I learned that through a mentor, um, he showed me how to build scorecards for companies, for departments, and for people. Um, and I have that to this day. I actually started Deside with scorecards in mind. I know exactly what the company's goals need to be. I know exactly what the department goals needs to be. And each employee, this is the most important part, each employee has a specific scorecard just for them. That translates up to the department, then it translates up to the, the, the company itself. So I sit down with the employees and I say, okay, what are your three educational goals for this year? And we put them down on paper and we say, yes, these are the three educational goals. Okay, what are your, it goes anywhere from six to 20 metrics, depending on your job, but what are your six to 20 metrics? You know, an engineer, for instance, is looking at tickets, SLA. Uh, how many tickets are you closing? How fast is it taking you to close those tickets? What is your service level agreement for each of the tickets? Are you meeting those service level agreement? And I measure that on a monthly basis. Every single month, I measure for every single employee, for every single department, for the entire company. And then I sit down on a regular basis with each employee or the managers sit down with their employees because this is something that I, I, I delegate down and go through those metrics. And they start saying, okay, okay Vic, that metrics is a little, a little rough. It's not that easy for me to achieve that for this, this, and reason. Okay, let's change it, right? Or you're banging it, blowing it out of the water. It's 100% all the time. Well, let's increase it because it's not enough of a goal. Okay. Well, when, when you look at you, you look at the scorecards for individual individual employees, mm -hmm. and you look at your 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 goals for the overall organization desk side, how do they mesh? How do you make sure everybody's on the same page, rowing in the same direction. You don't have, someone might have an individual goal, but that goal might be against your corporate goals. How do you, how do you keep them all on the same page? So there's very job specific. So someone that's in, um, for instance, sales has goals that measures, uh, that measure things that feed into the company's sales goals. Okay? okay. So for instance, a sales guy may have how many calls are you making a day? How many meetings are you setting? 
what's your revenue? Are you actually hit, hitting your revenue and your gross margin? All mm-hmm. those go into revenue and gross margin for the company, right? Okay. On the operation okay. side, where it's a cost center, it's the same thing, only that we want to make sure that my gross margin is not being affected by cost of goods. So we want to make sure we keep those hours low. How many tickets okay. are you doing? How many hours is it costing you on average for each ticket? Because that salary translates into hours, which then translates into uh, costs for the company. Okay, you, you know, as I as I'm an engineer by 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 degree, and as I listen to you, you seem like you're a very analytical person. So mm-hmm. as I, as I listen to the analytics side of it, help me understand your sales and marketing side. How do how do you know? It's sometimes it's hard to balance the the technical side, the engineering side, with the sales and marketing side. I've had a very very hard time in doing that. How, how, how do you how do you how do you make that transition to get the sales and marketing done? That's definitely, uh, and you hit the nail on the head. I am definitely an analytical guy. So, you know, when you talked about sales and marketing, the first thing that lights up in my head is Google Analytics and Google AdWords. Why? Because it has all the numbers in there, right? <laughs> but yeah, sales, sales and marketing is definitely an art form. Um, and the only way, um, and this is something that I will tell every single one of you listen, listeners is really important. I surround myself with people that are way smarter than me. That's yeah. the only way, because that artistic piece I have a blog writer. I cannot write a blog. I'm very good at writing, but the type of writing that's necessary, I, I couldn't do it. I hire uh-huh. someone that can. You know, okay. when it comes, one of, one of the one of the great stories I'll tell you with DeathSide itself is we started writing blogs in order to start getting our SEO in, in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and within our blog, there is a measurement that says readability and SEO score. When I was doing it, before I hired someone to actually help me, I was getting red, 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 red. <laughs> Every single blog was getting a red. So you get a red, a yellow, or a green, right? Red meaning it's terrible, do something about it. Yellow, you're getting there and green, fantastic. You're doing great work. I looked at it the other day and it's all green. It, nothing right. really changed other than the person that I surrounded myself with that's in charge of that is doing a way better job than I can. Well, well so how do, how do you... How do you get execution into the DNA of your company? I mean, do, do your people are, are your people are they always engaged? Have you taken ways to minimize the, the complexity? Are you making sure you're controlling your cost? You know, as you put all of them together, they all funnel into execution. How, how do you how do you keep how do you help my listeners understand how you tie it all together? Okay, so the the, the scorecards help a lot. Um, but before even the scorecard gets there, because it, 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 the scorecard and measuring your people is important because you'll actually see someone that goes from engaged to disengaged just in their scorecard. If nothing's changed, nothing else. But the bigger pro- part of that is hiring the right people. My hiring process is very, very complex. And that's something that I stole. It's not something I invented. I stole it from uh, a few venture back uh, uh, startups up in uh, Boston. Um, uh-huh. I have friends in there and they're like, this is the way we do things. My hiring time frame went from a couple of weeks to two to three months. Okay. So I can't hire someone any sooner than two to three months. And actually two months is pushing it. Why? Because I have stages, I have exams they have to go through. So before they even get in the door, I know that the right person. The okay. other part of that is now you have the right person you have to make sure that that right person is in the right seat in the bus. Because a lot of times, even employees don't really know, unless they're matured to a certain point, where they belong within a company. You may have someone that's on the technical side that should be better better suited being in marketing. 
You have mm-hmm. to keep an eye for that sort of stuff, especially during the interview process. So mm-hmm. once you get them in the door, make sure they're in the right seat, then measure everything they do, and then mentor them. That's another big piece that people keep forgetting to do. You can't just hire someone and just let them do their thing and expect to get what you want. They may be working you know, 100 times harder than they have to, trying to impress you, and they're not getting what you want because you're not taking the time to actually mentor them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the thing I, I, I try to help my audience um, achieve is execution consistency. Mm-hmm. Help me understand and help my audience understand some of some of those hurdles you've hit. Yeah, you, you got the hiring process in, you got the scorecards in, you, your culture is very, very important to you, mentoring is very, very important to you. But we all hit dips. We all hit some times when what we expected to happen didn't happen. How do you lead your time? How do you lead your company for execution consistency? Well, the dips are going to happen. I mean, uh, it's not something I don't think there's any one thing you can do to stop those things from happening. I I think that, you know, being uh, mentally strong, um, having uh, a great support system. Um, I'm a member of uh, uh, Vistage, um, which is a CEO group that meets on a, on a monthly basis um, with a fellow peers. So I, I sit down with 20 other CEOs once a month and we actually do what's called issue processing, right? So when a dip like that happens, I'm like, guys, I did all the right stuff. I, I did everything that's in all the books. I did everything. This is, this is what my result was and it's not what I'm expecting. Um, help me see what's going on. Um, and that has helped me tremendously because those people coming from different industries, different experience levels are able to bring things to the table that help me say, you know what, why don't you go left this time and see if that works for you? I'm a, I'm a uh, former Vistage member myself. We okay. There's a chapter here in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It was, it was about a two hour drive. But you know what? It was worth the two hours. You know, while I, while I make that drive over there, I'd have some kind of educational book on, on my drive there and on the way back. But meeting those people and getting different input that they have no vested interest in getting anything for you or from you, I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I understand exactly exactly where you're coming from. All right, let's 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 talk about growth. All right, so every CEO wants to grow. Everybody wants to take their company to grow. How, how are you approaching growth? And do you have a strategy that? And I'm not saying I'm not looking for your secrets, but how do you approach growth? And how can you help someone else? out in my audience, see growth from your perspective and how you approach growth? Is there's a couple a couple things. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, concentrate on your clients, not your competition. Um, a lot of CEOs are, are way too focused on what my competition is doing or how they're doing it differently. Just, I, I really don't care about trademarks and patents. I, I don't care about any of that stuff, right? Okay. The only thing I care about is that my clients are raving champions of mine. Um, so that's big. Because once you have raving champions, the referrals start coming in. Um, you can point people that, because making a sale, fifty uh, percent of it is gaining trust. What mm-hmm. better way to gain trust than say, "Hey, talk to Peter. He's been a client of mine for five years." Right. So that's that's uh, uh, first and foremost. The other one is consistency. A lot of stuff in sales doesn't work right away, especially Mm -hmm. marketing, translating into sales, translating into conversions, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff just takes time, especially in the business I'm in, where you have Mm -hmm. a a close cycle of six to 12 months. You're talking about being involved with that one prospect for anywhere from six to 12 months before you get anything in the door. 
you know, mm-hmm. multiply that over, I need to do 10 of these a month. And it's, it's, it's a battle. So you have to be consistent. Marketing is really important. And people do not, especially newer CEOs, don't give marketing enough importance. They think that they could do without. I used to be like that. I used to put sales in front of marketing. Big mistake. Marketing in front of sales. What taught you that? I mean, I understand you used to be that way. What, 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 how that light switch? How do you make that switch that, you know, marketing, because I, I agree with you totally, you know, you gotta, you gotta get the attention. You gotta drive the demand. And if you drive the demand, the sales will come. So how, how did that, uh, how did that switch come for you? So I, I remember um, during the 2009, 2010 housing market collapse, mm-hmm. um, our sales just plummeted. I mean, it was, it was natural. I mean, everybody's sales and we had to turtle shell the company and kind of just to fight through it. Right. And what I did see at that time, because again, being part of peer groups, being bar, I saw other companies doing different things. And one of the things that we missed the opportunity of is during this time that we did turtle shell the company and we kind of just tried to, to hold it together, you know, manage cash really well, held on to the clients, help the clients that were in trouble. We didn't do any marketing. That was a big mistake because when the cycle came all the way around, which this is cyclical, it always happens, right? There's going to be another one in the future. We may be mm-hmm. in one right now, right? A little recession, whatever you want to call it. Um, but there is going to be a time where if you did the marketing, when you come out of it, your sales will just pick up like that as compared to you're out of it. And now that sales team has to do a lot more work, a lot more legwork to track those prospects to come in. And then the mm-hmm. sales engine starts getting going again. Wow. I mean, and, and, and to, me, to me, when you experience it, that is the best teacher. I mean, you, you, yeah. you, you can read as many books as you want, yeah. but until you actually get in there and have skin in the game and realize what's happening, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to learn that. Uh, Victor? What makes you a good CEO? Why are you a good CEO? I, I, I like to think that um, it's, it's, it was luck and from, what, from my perspective, but what makes me a good CEO is that I had some really good CEOs that I worked for. Okay. Um, and I learned a little bit of something from each one. You know, I learned to measure everything from one. I learned culture from another one um, because in order to be a good CEO, you've got to be a master of many things. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to, you don't have to be able to do everything. Uh, that, that's not the message I want to say, but you have to understand everything. You have to be able to call bull when someone's telling you something and it's just not that way, right? So uh-huh. if, if you're a CEO that's hurting on the marketing side or is hurting, most CEOs don't hurt on the sales side because that's that a lot of CEOs I've learned come from that sales perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if you're hurting on the operational side, pick up a book, get a mentor, learn enough so that then you can have an intelligent conversation and you don't have to rely on any one of your staff. Wow, I appreciate that. So um, as we get ready to close up here, Victor, when if you if you look at the, the big picture, where you come from, from our working for somebody, starting death side, what tip can you leave, a word of wisdom can you leave my audience about, number one, about being a CEO and how you can help my audience be a better CEO? Uh, w- one of the things is to take care of yourself. Um, a lot of CEOs, because it, it, we're put under a lot of stress, right? Because mm-hmm. I really do believe that every single family, that, that, that every single employee's family that works for me is my responsibility. 
maybe mm-hmm. a little bit, but I feel that responsibility. And I, I think a lot of us CEOs feel that way, right? Right. Um, and one thing that I, I, I tell others in my position is you got to take care of yourself. Make sure that you're eating right. You're going to the gym. You're continuously learning. You're doing all the things. You know, it, it's almost like put the mask on yourself, you know, the oxygen mask on the plane uh-huh. before you go help somebody else. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it sounds like it's a little selfish, but at the end of the day, that's the only way you're actually going to be successful because if you're not right, you know, physically and mentally, it's going to be very, very hard for you to do all the things that are required of you as a CEO. When, when, when you look two years in the future, Victor, where's this side going to be? So we've been growing 50% year over year. I think that's going to slow down right now. I think the growth is going to, is going to, is going to be there. I just, I just think that it's not uh, sustainable at 50% year over year. Uh, but I, I like to see Deside as being the shining light leading MSPs into this new form that I'm trying to build, which is called a TSP or Technology Success Partner. Um, uh-huh. That's where I'd like to be because I don't think I can solve the problems that I'm trying to solve is that side by myself. I mean, the MSP world is really big. Here in Dallas alone, there's over 300 MSPs. Uh, wow. Just to give you the the, the size, right? There, even if every single one of them were, were to turn over every single client to me, I would not be able to fulfill that, right? So I think that the, that the problem is bigger than just that side. So okay. in two to three years, I'd like to see companies start seeing what that side's doing and mimic what we're doing so that we could do a better job for our clients. Because right now, I really do feel that the MSP model, the way it is, is not serving their clients. Okay. Okay. Now, when, when you that making that switch from a, is a managed service provider to a technology service provider, is, is that, help me understand that switch, you know, help my audience understand where you're trying to head. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the managed server provider is really think about um, hiring an IT guy. And instead of hiring an IT guy, you're hiring an outsourced version of an IT guy. That's the managed service model, right? Okay. The TSP model is really around Wegner agnostic business first. So you're really focused on the business, right? As compared to an IT guy, IT guy has no idea about the business. What they're doing is, oh, I'm supporting Office 365 or I'm supporting this desktop, right? I want to, I want to work with the business. I've been a CIO. I know what it takes. I know the efficiency gains that technology can serve any business, right? So those are the big changes is be Vedner agnostic. Don't worry about your margin. Worry about what's the best product for the client, right? Uh-huh. Be technology focused so that, uh, I'm sorry, business focused, then bring the right technology into the uh, partner. Those are the two big ones that will help those MSPs turn into TSP. The other one that's really, because there is three, is security. So MSPs uh, back in about um, 2016 or so, split off. They became MSP and MSSP. So there's a managed service provider and there's a managed security service provider, which is a security focused MSP. Well, I think the split is really silly. And I think that that needs to be whole whole into one uh, provider, which would be a TSP. Well, it it sounds like you have a, a, a cause and a vision you believe in and it sounds like you want to lead that charge. You want to lead your organization to go 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 for that goal. I mean, and to me, I, I think that's key. If you see it, you believe it, you chase it, you'll make it happen. So I'm 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 looking forward to hear. You know, two years from now, three years from now, 
I'm gonna read somewhere about Victor Calabrese. He is the TSP man of the world. So I'm, <laughs> hoping, I'm hoping to hear that. You know, yeah, I, I hope so too. <laughs> as, as I wind down here, tell me who is the Victor behind this EO title? I mean, take the title away, who's Victor? So uh, I'm a family man. I have five children. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fun, life-loving kind of guy. Um, I just enjoy smiling, uh, bringing smiles to people's faces. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a student of everything. Um, mm -hmm. I just love learning for the sake of learning. And I, and I try to teach as much as I, I learn. Um, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutcase, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book right now, you know, that's, that's, really? uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really Is super excited. Technical? A technical book? No, no, it's actually, uh, the, the name of the book is going to be Accessing Your True Potential. Um, so, one more time? Accessing Your True Potential. Okay, okay. So, it's all around the things that we all have to do, um, because every one of us has this little voice inside of our head, right? When we're at a meeting or we're in a, in a, in a, like a, a, a big pressure situation. And sometimes this person comes out of us and, and afterwards we're like, wow, that was amazing. Who was that? That's not me. It's like, so getting access to that person on a regular basis takes work. And the book uh -huh. is all around the things that are necessary in order for you to have more and more of those episodes. The Elon Musks of the world and the Steve Jobs, they do this naturally. And that's why they are where they are. But each mm -hmm. of us have that inside of us. I'm looking forward to hearing that and seeing that. Yeah, you know, I'm an audiobook kind of guy, so I'll, I'll have to yeah, go to my car and drive it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if uh, my audience want to get a hold of you, how would they get in touch with you? So, uh, and 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 please, that's one of the things I want to give away to your audience um, is please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I, it's free of charge. Anything you want to talk about tech, any way I can help, I love to help people just for the sake of helping. Uh, best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, Vittorio Calabrese, or you could go to Desai TSP um, is where we are for uh, any one of the social media platforms. I am all over social media. So Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, and so is Desai. Wow. I, I would, I, you know, I could sit here and talk to you more. You know, I, I just, as I love the bubbleness in your, in your voice. I, I'm, we, I have a video here, so I see you and I, you had a smile on your face the entire time we've been talking. So I could, I could do this, but I had to cut this thing off and, and move forward. So, you know, Victor and I, Wayne Washington, would like to thank you, the audience, to listen to two CEOs just have a discussion. I hope some of the things we've talked about today can help some CEO out there get over that hump or take one tip, one tool, one technique that they can use at their company to move things forward. We have this a weekly show, The CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy. Please put on joining us next week and listen to another one of my successful CEO guests talk about how they have helped their company and led their company forward by consistently executing their strategy. Thank you, audience. I appreciate you being here and we'll talk next week. Wayne Washington here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. If you are a successful CEO of a seven-figure project-based client delivery environment and would like to be a guest CEO on the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast, please visit 
www.ceosecrets-execution.com and apply. If today you learned a tip or a technique to apply from my guest CEO, other CEOs would appreciate your sharing this episode on social media. To do that, just take a quick screenshot with your phone, then text it to another CEO or post that screenshot on social media. If you know of other CEOs who would be a great guest, text them and let them know about the CEO Secrets for Executing Strategy podcast. The CEO you are thinking about would appreciate you including a link to the scheduling website. That's www.ceosecrets-execution.com. We are regularly putting out new episodes. To make sure you don't miss an episode, go ahead and subscribe today. Remember, your thumbs up rating or a five-star review goes a long way to help promote the show and would mean an awful lot to me and my team. Do you want to know more about my company, Grow Company Profits? Go to our website at www.growcompanyprofits.com. You can also follow me, Wayne Washington, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to having you back for our next episode.